of another T-E-T-C. The End Times Continue. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the End Times Continue recording on this, the 8th of October. I am Dino, and Ace um, could not be here today. He's dealing with some real-life stuff. Uh, he has to handle a couple of things in his actual life, and so he uh, was not able to be on the show today. Um, but in lieu of Ace, uh, he actually was very supportive of me bringing on uh, Lady Jane. Hello. Hi. Um, and frankly... <sighs> If Ace had to miss a show, and and um, if Ace had to miss a show and we had to bring you on, I think this is probably the best day for it. Probably, I mean, it actually probably is um my least favorite news cycle to comment on, despite the fact that I probably have I wouldn't say good insights, but some context (laughs) for current events that are happening right now, very quickly. Sure. Um, and so, for those of you who are listening, if there's a little bit of audio doubling, we're recording in the same room. We could have done it over Discord, but the problem is that um, I know for a fact that we're going to lose internet at some point this evening. And so, I didn't want to leave it up to the gods whether or not we were actually going to get through a show before <laughs> before we lost our internet. So, what? I didn't know we were going to lose our internet, but that's... that. Uh... Yeah. Well, it's because, okay, so I, I, I noticed we were actually running slow today. And so I went on to the website to see um, if there was anything going on that we knew of. And yeah, apparently they said, yeah, we know there's a serv- there are service issues in your area. We're going to turn off your internet to fix it at some point today. Okay, well, that, that's good to know. Thank you. Yes, that's, it is good uh, to I'm know. glad everyone else knows that little banal piece of information as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, okay, so this is, so if you hear a little bit of audio doubling, things like that, that's what's happening there. Very little I can do to fix that unless I want to spend hours and hours editing, which, um, I don't know, I might try something, but we'll see. Um, So that is uh, sort of the situation for today. Uh, No ace today, but Lady Jane's here, and uh, thank God she's a Jew, because we can actually talk about Uh (laughs) her. We can actually yeah, the talk about it. The secret is out, guys. Oh, yeah. I've never talked about it before. <laughs> um, because we can actually talk about what's going on in uh, in Israel and Palestine um, without uh, without it being two guys who aren't Jews talking about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm the community. I've talked to them, and they're really on board with the fact that you're bringing somebody who has the, the lived experience of being an American Jew who's never been to Israel um, to comment on the events as they're unfolding. Well, I you... talked to the ADL. <laughs> they're, they're happy about it. Um, and the Zoom meeting, I ran it past everybody, the Zoom meeting where we talk about banking. And it, it's cool, guys. It's cool. Um, so I'm happy to be here as a spokesperson for all Jews worldwide. Good. Good. Uh, cause that's what you're here for. Uh, yeah, you're my, you're my human shield for when I talk about it, talk shit about Israel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People can't talk shit. My wife is Jewish. Um, <laughs> sorry, but I guess that's part of your role. Um, <laughs> 
Um, look, I don't like it any more than you do. The, uh, there's a, it's an interesting thing because, okay, so actually I think this is kind of important. You, um, grew up with a lot of, like you went to Orthodox schools and stuff like that growing up for a time, right? Yeah. Well, let me kind of, without getting too boring and giving you guys like my life story, just kind of a quick timeline of, um, how I grew up religiously and kind of where I fell into religion later on and my family's own kind of, um, and the reason it matters, I want to be clear. The reason it matters is because there is, um, there's a, there is a, a, I mean, obviously a, a sort of cultural, um, connection to Zionism that a lot of American Jews have. Yes. And, uh, Kind of part of my story is that I never had any kind of real connection to Zionism. Um, my family, not particularly Zionist, not particularly interested in any of the conflict, um, not very religious. I did not grow up particularly religious. We went to a reformed temple. Um, they, my parents took me as a kid because a lot of people, once they have a kid, they start doing religious stuff so that they can teach their kids the traditions. And then as soon as you're old enough, they stop doing it because then you know enough to teach your kid and then you'll stop when they turn 10, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Right. Um, no one in my family has been particularly religious in decades. And to my knowledge, no one in my family has ever cared that much about the issue of the state of Israel. Now I did get a lot of zionist messaging throughout being a young jewish kid who went to we call it sunday school it's on wednesdays and sundays actually just like a lot of christian uh after school yeah that's that's exactly the uh there was a there was a baptist church that i used to go to and that was the schedule for the baptist church was sunday and wednesday yeah wednesday and sunday i would go i would um you know get little bible stories and learn how to do the olive bet which is the alphabet And there was always some sort of Zionist messaging that was in it. And it's pretty common for Jews to not be particularly religious, but actually to still have pretty strong feelings on Zionism and the state of Israel and this idea that that is our homeland. People go on those birthright trips, which I mean, just calling it birthright, it just skeeves me out. Um, You know, you get a free trip to go to a place you've never been that no one you've ever known probably has been near for thousands of years um but but it's your birthright to go on the trip there's a lot of that honestly in the united states zionism is not really that linked to religion not as much as you would think and so uh it's the it's like it's kind of an it's more on the ethnic cultural side of it yes and and the religion is connected but it's not, it's, it's, it's not necessary. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, you can find mutually a lot Mutually inclusive. Yes. Yeah. There, you can find a lot of Jews that rarely ever go to synagogue that still have pretty strong feelings and probably have a lot of hot takes about what's going on right now. Sure. Um, but when I came home from Sunday school, uh, and when I would come home from a Shabbat service where the kids had their own little service and the parents did their own thing. I never got any follow-up or any, um, follow-up's not the right word. I didn't go home 
and it wasn't reinforced. No, there was no echo chamber. Right. My, my mom, I remember talking to my mom about it and about if we would kind of ever go to Israel, not asking because I wanted to, but just this general idea of like, oh, is that a place that we would go? And my mom would tell me, I mean, honestly, I feel absolutely no draw there at all. I, yeah. I just, I get it. Maybe it'd be interesting to go see historical sites, but, I, I, you know, talking to everybody else, it sounds like they feel like this real desire to go. I don't feel that way. And that's kind of what I grew up with was a sort of ambivalence. And as I got older, um, I think I was probably a little more susceptible to Zionist messaging because my parents didn't like take me home, ask me what I learned and then yeah. tell me whether or not that fit in with our value system. Um, but it wasn't really ever a big deal to me. Um, it does make me think about how it's important as a parent to probably check in about what people are teaching <laughs> kids because I could have actually had this entire set of beliefs that wasn't really compatible with the way that I was being raised. Right. Um, but then religion became a much bigger part of my life when I was in high school and my very secular, uh, apathetic parents sent me to a Orthodox Jewish girls school because the public school wasn't good in the area and uh, they wouldn't send me to a Catholic school. I mean, that, God forbid, right? Like, that that would be the That's worst possible happen. thing. So they sent me to a ultra-Orthodox Hasidic girls school. And that was where I um, became quite religious and had a lot of opinions. Still, none of them were actually very Zionist or very mainstream Orthodox. But to a secular person, I was like a black hatter. Right. I To a secular person, I, I was extremely religious. You would have seemed really religious to like a non-religious Jew just walking around. And, yeah. and then the little like 14-year-old girls at my high school would yell apikoros, apikoros at me, which means heretic, because I said that um, women should be able to read from the Torah. You know, um, well, you know, women in reading. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but there I received an entirely new education about a religion that I thought I knew, but I really only knew the cultural side of. Um, once again, my parents did not ask me what did I learn at school <laughs> and then either tell me whether or not that was compatible with the way they wanted me to think. Right. Or the way that they'd raised me. Or well, the values they wanted yeah. you to have. I mean, that that goes to another thing in that I actually kind of believe I was raised with not a lot of values. Um, <laughs> you know, some people... Sort of a hands-off. Some people have families that are very clearly... Um, they, they have this kind of stated set of ideals and values and principles, and that's important to them, and they want their children to have those. And I was kind of a free-range child and just made up... <laughs> my own mind on things it worked out fine for me i well here's the thing this is actually not surprising because your your boomer parents raised you like a gen x kid yes even though they were they were older and and you're a millennial but they raised you like the boomers raised gen x latchkey kids with not a whole lot of oversight yeah i'm i'm a millennial that was raised by parents that were our tech were i mean probably could fall closer into war baby um generation so uh that couple like five years even actually really probably does influence the way somebody's raised and also if you're you're talking about um jews that were born then too i mean my parents being born 
before the war is really over. Right. Um, all of the all all of the discourse about Zionism that was going on at that time, and I think what they grew up with as very very small children is so different from what it became. Like I know that my mom um, went to services at a synagogue where a rabbi um, in probably the early seventies had been openly against the creating the state of Israel because he did not believe that Jews should go back to Israel because that's something that's for the messianic times, which is something that there's a lot of Jews that share that belief. They're much more orthodox and it's not talked about as much, but that's a belief. And also as a less um, orthodox rabbi, that rabbi, and this was not uncommon, brought in the argument that why are we taking a bunch of war-torn people that ha are traumatized, many of whom have lost everyone, barely made it out of concentration camps, and we're going to throw them into a place where other people live and just tell them, figure it out, settle it, and, you know, just deal with the people that already live here. Yeah. And I, so I kind of grew up with that, too. Um, the, 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 when, when it wasn't such a hardline thing, that idea that like there was actually argument about this within the Jewish community itself, where that's kind of gone away now. Now it is. If you say something like that, I mean, you're as good as excommunicated. You know, and I say that there's no real excommunication in in Judaism. No, um, it may as well be. But yeah, yeah, it, it's not allowed. I mean, there's been people that have come up kind of with different. Um, ideas to, to justify why the Holocaust happened and they've put in that, well, that's because then we got the state of Israel. I mean, I'm not a rabbi. I'm not an expert. That seems like a lot of revisionism. <laughs> yeah, that seems incorrect. <laughs> yeah, there's, and to be honest, the whole, like, Zionist idea started with a bunch of secular communists, for the most part, who realized that Europe was never going to work out for them. And so they wanted to go to another place, but they were not religious. They were Jews, and being Jewish defined what they were able to do in life and how they were accepted and what their home countries would allow them to do. Right. But it was the ethnic cultural side of it. So while they were very, very Jewish, they were not religious. And now you see very orthodox people that are very pro-Zionist who will go back to Israel and 50 years ago, well, maybe actually probably more than 50 to me, it's still 2000. So 50 is 1950, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're saying closer to 70 years ago, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I mean, even then w within the past century and not even, you know, there, there's people that died in the nineties or the two thousands who were famous Jewish leaders and rabbis who had never gone to the state of Israel because they did not believe you are supposed to go there until Mashiach comes. And wow. Okay. So th th that's something I actually want to pause on for a second. So you are, you expect me, uh, a, 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 a non-religious boy who was raised a good Christian. You expect me to believe that there has been, in the past, argument about whether or not Jews are even supposed to be in Israel right now? Yeah, it still exists. And there's actually a group of people, I forget their name, they believe that, and they were doing a lot of stuff with Iran for a while. Like, a lot of, um, I'm not kidding, and I should have looked up their name. They were 
doing a lot of like photo ops with Iranian <laughs> officials, <laughs> and they're considered a shame to to the group. But they are some of the most orthodox, visibly orthodox Jewish orthodox presenting people, and their big hill that they want to die on is Israel shouldn't exist. Basically, Israel shouldn't exist. We shouldn't be back there. And so it's good that people are against it. Yeah. Don't quote me on all of that, but that's essentially what. But that's the conversation is that the, 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 there's not supposed to be an established, you're not supposed to, the Jews aren't supposed to get the Holy Land back until the Messianic times is sort of the, the argument. And that was the belief. I believe probably around the 50s and the 60s, there's still some people that may privately hold that belief. I mean, the big, the biggest name I can think of in the Jewish world who did not go to Israel was the Rebbe, the Chabad Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson. He was a very big deal. Um, he was, honestly, I don't understand what was so captivating about him. Like, <laughs> people go to his grave. There's it's, it's a tradition that Chabadniks, so people that are part of the Chabad sect, um, that's the high school I went to. They do a lot of outreach. So you get some Chabad people that are like almost modern Orthodox. They run like hostels and stuff yes. like around the world, don't they? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like missionaries, but only to reach out to Jews to bring them back. It's called Kiruv, like to bring people closer to Judaism. It's like a born again Jew thing because we don't proselytize, but mm. but it's like proselytizing to your own people. Um, and because of that, there's because there's so much outreach, Chabad and the Chabad Rebbe um, have very forward-facing, and there were a lot of world leaders that consulted with the Rebbe, and it's a tradition. It's a tradition for Chabadniks to go to the Ohel. The Ohel is where he's buried, um, and pray, like, if they're in the area, if they're in Crown Heights in New York, or before some sort of a big event. But you see celebrities with pictures there. I think Naomi Campbell went to the Ohel too. There was like a weird thing where celebrities are super into the Rebbe, kind of like the whole practicing Kabbalah thing, even though Kabbalah is not a religion that you can practice. It doesn't work that way. Um, The Chabad Rebbe, I mean, talked to many world leaders. There's books. His picture is in all the Chabadniks' house. Like, people have a picture of the Pope. Um, he died, and when he died, people couldn't get over the fact that he was dead and he didn't have any kids, so there's a belief that he is still alive, um, or that he's the Messiah and he's going to come back. He never went to Israel. Yeah. Um, that's that's the point of all of this. But that, I mean, that's kind of to establish he was a powerhouse. A, a really, really, yes. really influential Jewish figure, and not even he thought Israel was a good idea. No, but at a certain point, you don't say that. Right. Um, it's not like it was a secret, but I don't think he was out there talking about it because, I mean, honestly, it was already in motion. All of this is to say that this sort of neo-Zionism that you see in mainstream Judaism in America is informed more by American Jewish culture as it's developed since World War II than by actual theology. Yeah, there's no theological backing for it whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, you can cherry pick, I'm sure, right? It, it's there. There's 
The funny thing is, is that it isn't theologically backed, but it also is. Because almost all the prayers talk about the return to Zion, the return to Jerusalem. At the end of a Passover Seder, when you say next year in Jerusalem, that's supposed to mean because Mashiach has come and we're back in Yerushalayim. Yes. That doesn't really mean next year we'll go to Jerusalem. Yeah. But everything is about returning. So while there isn't really theological backing for this specific situation, you can turn to so many different prayers. Sure. So someone who doesn't know as much, like... I guess I should say there's no theological backing for forcing it. Like, there's no theological backing for the UK establishing yeah. the state of... Or the international community no. establishing the state of Israel and pushing the Palestinians out and all this other stuff. Like, th- like there's no... there's That's not based on theology. No, but it does make it very easy to say it is when literally everything... All these prayers that we that do is con- all about like conceptually. That. Yeah. yeah, all of it is about the return to Jerusalem and the return to the to the base of Mikdash, the the temple, the return of it, it's going back to Israel. It's all the return to Zion, right? But not like that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Okay. So, so this is to I, I wanted to bring that up in particular to sort of add context to. What I think a lot of people might not really um, have the personal experience of having seen the, the sort of the cultural Zionism among American Jews and why you're seeing so many people on fucking Twitter who are um, who are hardlining talking about wanting genocide in Gaza because of these attacks that happened. Well, for us, Friday. Um, yeah, for us, Friday for night. Us, for us, it was Saturday. Right. It was Friday night. I remember. Yes, it was. It was I'm sorry. Friday yeah. night, and at that point, it was still Shabbos. It was Saturday. It was Saturday in Israel. In Israel yeah. And I, it, you know, there probably is because Judaism has a lot of different. There's the Torah, and then there's all the other books, and the Midrash that explains things, and the Talmud that has two different sections of it, the Mishnah and the Gemara, and all these other writings and commentaries. I'm sure there are things where they put together a support for return to Zion before sure. Mashiach. Uh, you know, I think based on other people's stances, though, prior to this becoming, you know, a socio-political issue, I think it's probably safe to say, while I'm sure somebody could well actually me and pull out all of these different things, that was something that was more a product of the fact that Israel was going to happen than it was, hey guys, we found it, Hashem wants this. Um, we're gonna do it, right? Yeah. So I do want to say that because I know pretty much anybody could come around. Somebody and be like, could pull well, out a commentary and and yeah, yeah, and and that's just not to to my knowledge true. Yeah, but I just want to make that disclaimer. Because that makes sense. Everybody's an expert in something. Yeah. Um. So let's actually talk about what happened. So there was a Hamas. Um. Uh, people are calling it a surprise attack. I don't buy that. But Hamas um, sort of had a big operation. Uh, there was a massive influx of Hamas fighters into uh, Israel, the other side of the border from Gaza. And if you're not familiar, so the the way the map is laid out, Israel is right there on the east coast of the Mediterranean. And you have Israel, and then there's that strip of, the strip of land on the west of Israel, butted up against the Mediterranean, that's the Gaza Strip. And uh, there's also, like, this is separate and different from the West Bank 
like this is a different thing. It's different from the West Bank. It's different from the Golan Heights. This is on the West side. And so there was a, this is, this is the place that people describe as an open air prison. And there was a major uh, offensive from Hamas into Israel where they, in, in the areas around Gaza, they were kidnapping people, killing people, is sheer brutality, just, you know, just absolutely horrific uh, um, acts were committed against civilians in Israel. And so that that's that's what occurred there basically and it was it was coincided with a rocket attack that um that I believe I saw and this could have been you know said to be incorrect since then but I believe I saw that it actually overwhelmed the iron dome at a certain point there were so many rockets that were being fired and the iron dome just kind of quit working and so this is this is sort of the 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 that's what occurred and now you have a bunch of people saying okay well now it's time to genocide Gaza like this has to end Well yeah and you have people saying that this is a genocide of Jews too Oh I, yeah Yeah I mean if that I, I don't know if you've seen that that side of I've seen a couple of takes like that. Yeah, both. There's a lot of um, accusations of genocide and calls for genocide that are uh, coinciding. Um, yes, from what I've seen, and I wouldn't say I've tried to limit it. I have to a degree because there's so many bad takes out there. Um, I'm either seeing takes that are like, "Hey guys, maybe we should understand why this has happened. We can condemn." brutality but when people live in an open-air prison kind of what do you expect was going to happen in this awful situation and then i'm seeing some other people a lot of um boomer jews the people that are the reason why i don't go to synagogue anymore (laughs) because (laughs) i I mean if you're not i'm not a zionist by the way i don't know if that was implied i'm actively not a zionist um the the usual suspects of people that have some real strong opinions on all of this are saying, uh, yeah, it's game time. Let's push Gaza into the sea. Yeah. That's it. It's done. And if they don't act now, it's over. I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of measured takes from people. I'm sure one reasonable guy out there exists. But <laughs> well, I think, and we were talking about this. I think there's something to be said for the idea of lining up the IDF and, and marching from, uh, the eastern border of Gaza all the way to the sea and ripping Hamas out root and stem. I I think there's something to be said for an operation like that. But from a military perspective, right? From a statecraft perspective. But my problem is that that doesn't seem to be what people are talking about. Well, because I don't think that's what anybody wants. I think it's a mistake to try to insert into any conversations about this issue anything related to logic, statecraft, or what reasonable military action would be. Because you are dealing with two sets of people that have two different ends, that their ends are either going back to a home that was destroyed, that they'll never get back because it's gone for forever. They can have the land it was on but they can't ever get back what was taken from them. And then a group of people that have a belief that this land that is not theirs is theirs. 
and that it will be all theirs. And those two ideas um, can't ever both come to fruition. Right. And they inform what each side does. And so you're in a situation where everyone, I mean, I don't know if I would say the Palestinian desire to have their home back is irrational. Um, I don't think that's irrational. And well, here's the thing, too, just to, to clarify, that's not even necessarily in like a larger, like a historical sense. Like this is our historical land or whatever, because this is a piece of land that's been fought over f- since forever. Right. There's there's never really been this. This, this is a territory that's never not been conquered. You know what I mean? So th- this is a constant in that area. Part of the reason is because of its location. It's right there on the uh, it's right there on the east of the Mediterranean. That's the it's the 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 hub of global trade. If you're trying to get to um, uh, southern uh, Europe and northern Africa, I mean that's the easiest way to do it from places like China, Afghanistan, stuff like that. So. It, 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 this is a, this isn't, it's not even the idea of necessarily like our historical or, or, or cultural or ethnic home. It's like, there are people who have literally been taken from their literal physical homes. <laughs> yeah. People who they, they really, their homes, they were in them and then yes. they weren't anymore. And then they were told Palestine didn't exist until we came and took it away from you guys. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you were a Palestinian? That's not real. Which, I don't know if that's a little inside baseball, um, but there is a str- very prevalent um, line of thought amongst, I wouldn't say all Zionists, I don't know, but a lot of Zionists that I've talked to believe um, and espouse the idea that there was no such thing as a Palestinian culture, nation, or group of people until uh, they were kicked out and it became Israel. That so that's also kind of what you're dealing with is a group of people yeah. that are saying, well, "What do you mean, what home? You guys?" Well, that's a that's yeah. a common thread in American Christian conservatism too. Mm-hmm. That that Palestine isn't a real thing and it never was until, yeah. um, until all the Palestinians that live there in Palestine were taken out of their Palestinian homes <laughs> and had everything, <laughs> and were kicked out of Palestine. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But to me, I don't see that argument either because, to, like, it, it, it seems to well, me no, because that it's insane. This is the problem with this with this issue is that so many of the arguments that are being made are patently absurd. And well, the here's the thing: are we going to them... say are we going to say there's no such thing as Kurds? No, because because there's there's well, no I... there's no Kurdish recognized internationally Kurdish. Uh, country right there's no like so we did should we just say kurds don't exist there are some people that do i mean that, that's the anyone serious yeah. <laughs> i guess not but also i mean the that's the problem with this conflict there are i'm air quoting serious people that are supposed to air quote run the state of israel who are like that's not real. What's Palestine? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, even if you go back to, like, let's even consider this. Like, we think about the words Iraqi, right? We think about what an Iraqi is. But Iraq was a country that was formed by the, the League of Nations. Uh, and it's not a, a single culture. It's not a single, even ethnic group. It's three. There were three tribes in that region that were basically all told, okay, you're a country now. So do we just say those three tribes don't exist? Or the or the ethnic um uh the ethnic 
uh, posterity of those tribes don't exist in Iraq. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, I, I don't like that argument because it's well, so... Well, no, it's, it's a bad argument, but there's a... Particularly in this region, there's a lot of bad faith arguments and bad <laughs> yeah, actors. That's true. And that's been a, a problem, and almost all of them are people not from the region who came in, took a map, carved it up, said who wants what, and went, okay, you're a country now. What do you mean you guys hate each other and don't get along? What do, what yeah. do you mean you're the Hatfield and the, and the McCoys in the Middle East? No, you're neighbors. You're in your country now. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of the, that is one of the kind of undercurrents in a lot of this, and in particularly in my opinion, you know, the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, one of the biggest issues there is that the rhetoric and the, the stated desires behind some of these people's um, movements it's just not based anywhere in reality. Like, I, I have personally called it kind of a collective psychosis that I'm supposed to believe that I, an American Jew, with family that came here on some sides of my family quite a while ago, and not from Israel, that for some reason I have any stake in Israel, and that any of the people, that the majority of the people there who are, like, from Poland originally somehow have this historical biblical um just world ending claim over people who who are actually from there but that's that's the belief i mean it's otherwise reasonable people who now seem to truly believe that you know i'm i'm not lithuanian right like no i'm i deserve to be in israel because i'm a jew and tons of those people are from Europe originally, and the people that are from the region of the Middle East that moved there were treated like shit right. <laughs> because they were Middle Eastern. So I find it so hard to engage in any kind of conversation about these issues with some kinds of people, not because I think that you can't have a conversation with someone that you disagree with, but the underpinnings of a lot of these conversations and a lot of people's takes is just based on things that it's just delusion. Really, yeah, it, it's it's delusional. And unfortunately, the those delusions have led to an increasingly horrific conflict that I don't really see an end to that isn't devastating. Oh no, 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 no. No, I, I don't I don't think so either. Because you have so much you have so much nationalism now. We were reading the other day, we were reading about the um security minister right the minister of national security yeah ben Gvir. yeah yeah and his sort of history and where <laughs> he comes from this is a dude who became a lawyer because he was himself constantly being brought up on charges of um pretty much a lot of uh, things that would not ever happen in the united states he was convicted of incitement to racism because of words he yes. said things that they didn't like. Uh, he had claimed at one point it was 52 indictments. I'm pretty sure he, he he was convicted on some count of incitement to racism. I don't know about the other ones. He then, after he became a lawyer, and he had to fight to become a lawyer because of all these previous yeah, charges. Yeah, they wouldn't have been to the bar. He eventually, it was appealed, and he did end up becoming a lawyer and then spent has spent most of his career, I think all of his legal career representing people who are considered to be like jewish terrorists or uh extreme right-wing hardline nationalists yeah. 
Um, he, there's some issues with him, um, not just because I think he's a little nuts, but practically speaking, the police department's there and he oversees, I'm, I'm the committee. I don't, he, part of his duties is overseeing the police in Israel. Yeah. They do not trust him. They don't want him in briefings. And that's a problem. When the person who's supposed to be responsible for all of that, who's supposed to be the the head of security, national security, yeah, yeah, that the police departments are not don't want to work with nobody's him communicating with him because they think that he's dangerous. And I would have to say, probably, I I understand that concern, yeah, of giving him that information. That's like where they're at as a country right now. Is that the people in power have all of these raw just real intense beliefs and a lot of convictions, but it it's shooting the country in the foot because if these people are too extreme to be able to have any kind of real um, working relationship and communication with people in charge of everyday security mm-hmm. for citizens in a country that constantly is having problems and security threats, I mean, how, how are they going to get, yeah, so we were anyway. saying this is a massive failure of of uh, Israeli intelligence and national security. It's like, yeah, it's because their whole national security establishment is a shambles. Like they're like they're all of their their whole intelligence community, their national security establishment is absolutely upended because nobody can fucking communicate because nobody fucking likes this guy. Well, he had a picture of Brooke Goldstein in his house, and um, Brooke Goldstein had killed. Uh, I think I. I think it was 29 Palestinians. Um, he had massacred them. I mean, it was it was motivated specifically to kill Palestinians out of hate. Right, right. It's it terrorism. Them. Yeah. He's considered a hero amongst some groups. He had that guy's picture in his house, and he said he took it down after he entered politics. You know, because that, that really changes what he thinks. He's not the only guy. I took it, I took it down when it became an expedient to have it up. Yes. And he's not the only one who is in the higher echelons of the Israeli government who thinks that that guy was a hero and wants to. I mean, some of them now say, no, 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 I don't actually want to take all citizenship away from Palestinians. Like, that was before me. Like, me as a politician now, no, I don't think that. And it's important, too, like, this is something that that you and I have talked about as well, is that this idea that these these American Christian conservatives bend over backward – for this um this country in the Middle East in the name of freedom and they they talk about freedom all the goddamn time talking about Israel when this is a fucking proto-fascist theocracy or a pseudo-fascist theocracy that the 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 legal system there is entirely theocratic there um the just like this we this dude became a lawyer because he was constantly getting arrested for his words. He was constantly getting arrested for things that it would be illegal to arrest a man for in the United States. It's not, I don't even have as much of a problem. I guess this is more of a personal beef on my part. I'm not as disgusted by like American Christian conservatives um, who, who embrace Israel um, even though the, so much of what they do just to their own Jewish citizens Right. Like, right. I mean, it's an apartheid state. They don't treat all citizens the same. But talking about the citizens, they treat the best. 
right? They still do things that are completely incompatible with this idea of freedom in America. It's like American liberalism, yeah. It's not even them that I'm so disgusted with. Who I'm disgusted with are a number of um, Jewish intellectuals, Jewish legal academics who are on the more conservative side, typically, who bend over backwards to talk about Israel and protecting Israel and how important Israel is. And they write fucking screeds about how, oh God, woke culture here. And if I'm forced to say somebody's, you know, uh, concerns about like being forced to use a preferred pronoun and what's the, oh God, a chilling effect on speech. And the fucking country they're bending over backwards for is sending people to prison for words. I mean, I, I can't wrap my head around that. I, this whole, the whole thing is so difficult because from <laughs> top to bottom, all of this, the whole conflict and people's thoughts about it and their feelings about it is completely irrational. Right. There's no, there's no, there's no under, there, there is no consistent, the, the thing that really bugs me about it and the reason it's the Christian conservatives that really, because the Jews, I understand, right? Like you, you, you get annoyed by the Jewish academics and stuff like that. Who well, I get annoyed this. by the Jewish academics because there's people who like, I've read their work or I know about them and I think they're intelligent and they've written about the first amendment and they've written about the importance of the constitution. And then they're like, yeah, but isn't Israel amazing guys? We should definitely send foreign aid money there and support them when those guys if you take out the jewish part and that's what we should all be doing because it's israel it's not jews right um when you take that bit out it's a fucking hellhole for a conservative your tax dollars wow you hardly have any disposable income there's a lot of socialized services oh it's it's entirely socialized there yeah i mean i have friends that live there well honestly my friend i have to say my friends that live there i have some friends that move there i have some friends that are from there boy does their life sound real fucking nice (laughs) well this is the thing i think honestly i think the best description for the type of state right that that israel is is theocratic national socialism yes (laughs) like like that's the that is the that is the best political science description for the state of israel if you're in group (laughs) if you're in group oh man it's amazing to live there oh sure i mean and i mean that's why you get conservatives from the united states that would never move to sweden right oh yeah they move to israel they love it (laughs) i they they love it and it is i mean these are people that were terrified about about obamacare right right and they're like just so horny for the socialized medicine (laughs) in in israel um i Okay, to get back to the, uh, well, to, to the original say, point, uh, why why it upsets me though is because Israel, if you take the Jewish part out of it, actually is probably some of these people's worst nightmare. And these are people who I don't totally agree with on everything, but I have read their works and seen things that they have done and the way they've talked about the Constitution and have appreciated the work. And to then see them having... I mean, th- these are not famous people anybody would know, really. They're not... Oh, no, legal academics. Yeah. Nobody fucking knows who the legal academics are. But yeah. to see them with these very strong And, like, the beliefs, famous lawyers and the people who have, like, you know... Yeah. To see them then use, I guess, their platform 
for whatever it's worth. Yeah. Um, To then go talk about blindly supporting a a country that is supposed to represent us as Jews, that if you even leave out all of the, in my opinion, war crimes, still does things to its own people that are reprehensible, uh, it just disappoints me. I understand that. Yeah. The the reason that I'm that I'm so bugged by the reason I can understand it from from Jews is because it's like there is this cultural attachment to Zionism that that they were probably raised with that it's like that, that this is something that's very deeply ingrained in these individuals and I can sort of understand them I can understand that being a a a uh, a sort of cognitive dissonance that's very difficult to collapse I get that. What what bugs me about the the conservative Christians who do it is that they have all those same sort of ideas that you just talked about, as far as like American liberalism and, and this idea of you know the way that a democracy is supposed to function, and all this other shit. They have all those same ideas or purport to claim to, um, and yet they will bend over backwards for a foreign nation that's not um, that 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 doesn't comport with those ideas and also they do it because they were convinced by somebody that judeo has to precede christian in order for their values to be good and it's like there's no but and, and so they identify with jews and with israel and with zionism for this weird cultural religious reason that just doesn't make any fucking sense isn't there also some sort of rapture stuff associated with that you know, like There's, some of the, um, which, by the way, whenever like religious Christian organizations talk about how much they love Israel and they go on these trips and the Jews are the chosen people, we all know, guys, we all know that you get excited, you being those people, right? You being the evangelicals who just all oh, love and support Israel. We all know that every time shit pops off. You're waiting for Jesus, <laughs> and we know that when you're talking about the chosen people, you still think that we might end up in the bad place. <laughs> <laughs> Some do. There's a there's a little bit of uh, disagreement about that among uh, Christian theology about like what happens to the Jews uh, in the end times. My thing actually has always been that this has offended Christians that I've some Christians I've told to do. I don't understand why I have said, you know what, if this all happens, like second coming of Jesus, I don't need rapture, etc. I don't know about it. I just know there's a thing and I'm going to have to make a choice. All right. Okay. If Jesus is back, if all this has happened. Okay. I was wrong. Right? I can be wrong. All right, Jesus, you were real. I accept you into my heart, you know, yes. et cetera. I'm willing to be proven wrong. Sure. And Christians get so offended when I say that. I don't know why. Because I think it, it's, this is the thing. I'm not offended that, that they believe in Jesus, right? Sure. We just have a difference of opinion. And, and, this, and the I, reason I'm that, that matters. I'm open is, to being wrong. Yeah. The reason that matters, though, is because. For Christians, Jesus is the Messiah that is talked about in Judaism. That's why it matters whether or not, um, like, that's the thing that that is like you're you're in in talking about Jesus as Messiah. You are talking about Jesus fulfilling a Jewish prophecy. Yes, and so this idea that, like, um. This is this is why Jews aren't 
such huge fans of Christianity is because it's like you're saying the thing that we're waiting for already happened. And it's a disagreement. It's a, it's a disagreement on the on whether or not that's true, ultimately. Yeah. And and so this is that's I don't it, it, to me, it just really bugs me that that. You're, you are correct. There is a. OK. So there, there, there is absolutely a relationship between uh, Christian end times prophecy and um, Israel. The one of the primary components of it has to do with uh, the Antichrist entering the second, the the entering the, the third temple. And that's so, and that's interesting because for us, right? And obviously, these are two separate belief systems. So it doesn't matter that they conflict. For us, once the third temple is built, I mean that's that's done, game over, right? That is the yeah. The, I mean that's the, the end of the religion, basically. Well, no, no, not the end of the religion. Well, that's, well I mean, that's like that's the end times. of the that's the end of the prophecy, and that's the beginning yeah. of the messianic times. It, yeah. It's not like third temple and then something else bad could happen. Yeah, like it's, which is one of the interesting things that we've talked about actually with the the that was kind of interesting. That, look, I hate Left Behind. I think Left Behind ruined uh, uh, end times theology and eschatology. I think because there are so many Christians now who read Left Behind and they think like, oh, so I understand all of the theology and all the theory behind the end times prophecies and stuff. And it's like, no, that's one interpretation. It's not even a particularly good one. Um, I would always sneak like reading them at the bookstore <laughs> when my mom wasn't around because they looked cool yeah. and like edgy. Oh, they're rad. Yeah, they're rad. But but the 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 actual theological backing to them is is soft in a lot of places. But one of the more interesting sort of things that those that those books did was they had it to where there was a some proportion of Jews who actually thought that the Antichrist was the Messiah because it it all kind of lined up like that. And so there, that there was like some, there was a particular sect of Judaism that formed, that decided that the Antichrist was the Messiah. Which, when you compare, when you actually look at the two, when you actually look at the at the at the prophecies and stuff, that line that that could line up in that way. It's kind of well, interesting. There's been false messiahs before, right? I, like I mentioned, the Chabad Rebbe. That's that actually has never popped off in the way that some like real false messiahs did. Throughout history, throughout the history of the Jews, there have been, and I believe, I think it was like the uh, 1400s, 1500s, and further, I mean, and and later on as well, actual situations where there were guys that people thought were Mashiach. And it, in some communities that had migrated to different parts of Europe because that messianic fervor was around, delayed, um, building permanent synagogues because people really did think that. Oh, the the temple's about to come back. Yeah. I mean, so that's been. Oh, wow. It hasn't happened in quite some time, but there have been people that, I mean, thinking about it at, at the time, I would actually be interested if Christians around saw them as some sort of an antichrist. Oh yeah, like, I mean, there's oh, been that, that these would brushes. that would be very interesting. Like we think of it as something that is more limited to um, what people would consider ancient times. These right. ideas of anyone being around that someone could think was messianic, but there have there have been in the not so distant past. If you're talking about the history of time and the history of these religions that go back a very long time, mm-hmm. um, there have been some pretty modern, close to modern brushes with. Uh, 
Mashiach is coming. Yeah. He's here. A walking around human being that people truly believed was the Messiah. And then, yeah, it turns out... Um, not the case. Not the case. <laughs> but that was something that actually did surprise me because for Jews, we don't focus as much on this idea of end times. That's something more very religious people do. Sure. My family didn't really know much about any of that at all. We don't talk about the Messiah. Like, Reformed Jews, there's they don't really talk about Mashiach. They don't talk about a building of a third temple. There's a general idea of, like, repairing the world because it's broken and it should be repaired. But it's so far removed from this kind of end-time style right. um, uh, rhetoric that, unlike Christians, who tend to pretty much everybody who's raised Christian has some exposure to these ideas... If you're not a religious Jew, that does not really exist for you. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I'm not really sure why. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it makes sense, though, too, because you have there's there's kind of a focus in Judaism that's more about sort of like where you are now. It's not it doesn't really fit outside of those areas that you're talking about where people really focus on that shit. It doesn't really fit into like the sort of Nietzschean idea of a true world theory where it's like your 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 focus is elsewhere. You know what I mean? The way that it is in Christianity or or, you know, other religions that focus more on sort of an afterlife or they focus on uh, a some eventual some other eventual state that comes later um, uh, in, in all that I've uh, read and heard about. Judaism in particular, it's, it's more focused kind of on, like, where you are now. Yeah, it's not very focused on this idea of heaven and hell. I mean, there is kind of in... in I know that there is some sort of an idea of a place that's hell-like, and there right. is an idea of heaven. Most of what I was taught, even from in the more religious, air, like, kind of spaces I was in, is that... Pretty much everyone just goes to a purgatory, hmm. and your soul's cleansed, and then you go to Olam Haba, like the world to come. And that's about it. And I have, and I, Judaism really is such a very complicated and vast and very, like, um, treatise-heavy religion. Yeah, well, that's that the thing. I don't the, know everything. All the theology yeah. is in is in treatises. All the theology is in commentary. But from what I have been told and heard by heard from some rabbis that's not too different from christianity in a lot of ways but it's it's also different in that in christianity there's an assumption in protestantism that like you can read the bible and kind of get it on your own yeah whereas that same thing doesn't exist in judaism from from what i've been told the idea of hell as something that i'm not going to say more pervasive but this i this an idea of hell that that I guess regular people could go to or sure. even really being talked about started to come about more after World War II. Yeah. And I don't have a direct source for that, but just from what I was told. Gleaned. Yeah, is that then there needed to be this idea to figure out, well, where did those people go, though? Where would Hitler go? Because we didn't really have a place oh, where Hitler would having go. having to solve that problem. Oh, that's interesting. And But, I mean, there are there are... I do remember being taught certain things about, like, a, a terrible, bad, dark place that people could go. So it's not unheard of in right. Judaism. But, I mean, we really aren't very much... It's not the focus. No, we're not really... It's not about where do you go when you die. Yeah. You know? And I, I think that's good. 
actually. Mm-hmm. I Sure. I, I mean, it's it's one of those things that it, it certainly isn't as guilt-inducing as a lot of the Christianity. As well, a lot there's, of the... There's, no, there's, there's guilt. Oh, sure. No. <laughs> I'm just, oh, but oh, it's not in the same way. Because there's a there's a there's an interesting sort of thing that happens in Christianity where it's like you have to somehow get a seven year old to understand what hell is and and then what the thing that a lot of people do that's not particularly good or healthy for a kid is they just start like telling them and stacking all this shit they could possibly do to end up there like you know hey man if you lie to your mom you're gonna yeah. burn for eternity you just and it's have like the thing what? once a year where um just once a year all our sins go away. Yeah. And then you just start fresh. Yeah. Which as a kid, very, especially as an anxious child, incredibly nice, liberating. Nice to have. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing so bad that a Yom Kippur can't take care of you. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's sort of the, the, one of the things that I thought was interesting that was going on was sort of the cultural reaction to what's going on in Israel. There, there are people who are the, the bloodthirst of, uh, of Jews and of conservative Christians over all this is just so fucking well i mean here's the thing it reminds me a little bit it's not quite on par but it reminds me a little bit of the fervor after 9-11 where yeah. it's just like just glass it just fucking glass it man and it's like just fucking would you stop would you fucking think for like a second well and they're like how could hamas do this to women and children and elderly people like, <laughs> bruh yeah, the IDF has never once has the IDF ever done anything to hurt what some might call like a soft target of a person. Right. Never civilians. once. Ever. Come the fuck on. Well, all the civilian deaths in the conflict between, between uh, especially in Gaza, between Gaza and Israel, all of the, the, the civilian deaths on the Gaza side far outnumber those on Israel's. And then people will say, like, well, it's because they use human shields and stuff, but I'm not convinced of that. I think there's a possibility that it's like, I, I think I think it's just because they're launching rockets from Gaza yeah. and Israel doesn't care who they kill like, when they go hit those rocket, those, uh, those, um, those, uh, positions. Yeah, there, it's like there's those always targets. just a possibility that if you, like, you know, launch enough rockets at a group of people over a course of the course of time you're like you're gonna end up killing a bunch well, because of because i know what the united states did in the middle east the double tapping policy with the drones it's like the the whole the whole point the whole the way that drone warfare worked in the middle east for a large portion of time was that they would hit a target and then they would wait until people showed up to help the survivors and hit it again and those people weren't combatants those were people who were you know across the fucking street who come across to help and they just hit it again, and these people are civilians. I mean, that, so so knowing that that was the policy of the United States, I'm not convinced that it's like Hamas is using human shields. No, I think they're just bombing whoever's there. That's what the United States did. I don't, and I don't see any. I don't. I see nothing, frankly, about this fucking fascist country that is Israel that makes me think they're any more moral than the United States in their war fighting. Well, and, and it's. And it's not only the fact that there have been, and I don't know what the death toll is over all the decades, it's not only that there's been continuous military intervention, but also that it's not like when there's not a conflict going on, oh, everything's just fucking great for people that live in Gaza. Right. Oh, it's amazing, they're treated so well, and Palestinians that live in, in Israel, like, proper, right, in, like, not 
air quotes, disputed territory, even though I would argue all of it's disputed. It's it's not like they've been treated well. It's right. not like, you know, oh, this only happens every couple of years, but then besides then, uh, the IDF has never done anything to anybody at a border crossing. People have never been abused or attacked. Oh, they all have the same rights. Like, what the fuck it's bullshit. do you think happens but this is the thing. when you treat people... So terribly, and this this isn't isolated to just Israel and Palestine. You see this in many, many conflicts where people are conquered or colonized or otherwise um, controlled by another power. Yeah, after a while, the people who are marginalized... Stuff gets bad. Yeah, they're not going to go, hey, I'm really sorry. And here's I the just thing. think that you guys should leave. Could you guys just, could you leave the houses and then we take the house back? It's not to say this. It's not to say that this isn't a... The point that's that, at least the point that I'm trying to make, isn't just Israel bad, Palestine good. Like, that's not the point. Hamas and what Hamas has done over the last 36 hours is barbaric. And I don't think there's any... Anyone who disagrees with that statement or even... Or tries to rationalize or justify it is wrong because there's no justification for it in the same way that there was no justification for the United States, uh, fucking vaporizing women and children at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There is no justification for what Hamas is doing now. Um, it can be understood, but not justified. The point that I'm trying to make is that the same is true for the state of Israel, that these are both brutal. These are both regimes that kill children regularly. These are the Israel's a fucking they're both frankly theocratic fascists. There's no I see them as equals in their yeah, neither terrible side behavior. is doing something that the other side doesn't do. And that doesn't mean that either side should engage in what they're doing. There are no good guys in this conflict. But there's no... To to say that, wow, Hamas is really doing these terrible things, what a low blow, is to not kind of recognize what's been going on on the other side. Goldfish memories. They are... This is what happens in terrible, awful conflicts yep. that are also deeply rooted in religion and cultural. Um, the cultural forces at play are are, are yes. massive and I mean, have been for decades. And this is the other thing too: is to me, it's like I saw I saw one person who posted one of the videos of one of the of the I think it was the video of the uh, Hamas guys parading that naked dead chick around. Mm-hmm. And they were like, uh, "There are there's good guys and bad guys in this conflict. Which side are you on?" And I'm like, "There's no good guys in this conflict. What the fuck are you talking about? There's the, if you if you think that there are good guys, it's like then then I guess did history start on Friday for you? Yeah, because there's no you, you if you have any any degree of <laughs> of permanence to your memory at all, then you know that." What's happening there is not really all that different as far as barbaric actions from what the IDF has done in Gaza yeah. in the past. So, so this idea that like these that there is a morally good agent between these two is absolutely bonkers. 
They are theocratic fascists, the both of them. They want, they each want to eradicate the other. I do not care. I do not think there's any, anything of value to be had, frankly, out of Hamas. I don't think there's anything of value to be had out of the government of Israel. I, I just don't fucking care. A lot like Ace and I have talked about on the show in the past with regard to the um, Russian and Ukrainian conflict. The only people I care about in this situation are the innocent civilians who are going to be caught in the crossfire of this thing. Those are the only people I give a fuck about. Because they're the only people who are not demonstrably evil. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You've got Hamas, you've got the Israeli government. Demonstrably evil, the both of them. The innocent civilians are, are caught in the crossfire. And that's, again, this is why what Hamas did is barbaric. Is because they did target specifically mm-hmm. civilians. And stop saying that it would be different if all the fucking Israelis had guns. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I've been... I've been talking about that all day. I will not bore anyone who's choosing... I've to, seen those takes. To listen I- to this, you guys don't want to hear about that. <laughs> but I will say that it is... Mm, chef's kiss, amazing. That Americans will take any opportunity to graft onto it their own pet thing, yes. their, which is the Second Amendment, man, I get it. I do. One, wouldn't have changed anything. No. I guarantee this. Two, um, why are we bringing... Uh, it's, does everything autistically have to go back to, well, you know, if everybody was armed, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where it's like, it makes sense to bring that up in the situation where the guy who got stabbed in New York, right? Yeah. It makes sense to bring it up there because you're dealing with a place where these this dude is functionally disarmed in this city and he is and and maybe it could have gone differently if he had been armed. It was him versus one other guy. You know what I mean? The dude was obviously not in his right mind. He was threatening, he had a knife. I mean, yeah, maybe it would have gone differently if if that dude had been armed. But that's not the same thing as like look, we were talking about the other day. I walk around the house with a gun. Okay? I'm one of those assholes. Right? I'm always fucking strapped. Even in my own home. (laughs) If I'm wearing my jeans, I'm also wearing my gun. So, to me, I I absolutely understand that if four guys kick in my door with a purpose, I don't even have time to react. I, I don't even have time to get a shot off. If I'm in the kitchen... And some dude kicks, some, some group of guys kicks in my door and they've got a purpose to take hostages or kill people, whatever it is. I don't have any time to fucking react to that. And even if I hit one of them, dude, there's fucking, it's over. It's over. Yeah, it, we're not talking about something, someone coming in and they want to steal some of your shit and they see that you got a gun or they hear a shotgun racked and they're like, man, I'm going to the not next Not worth house. it, Yeah. These are people who are there with a purpose, who are trained fighters. Yes. Okay, one of their buddies dies. All right. Well, what do they care? Yeah. I mean, a burglar, you might, you got two burglars in the house. You kill one of them. You got no burglars in the house anymore. Second guy ran off already. And it's also to try to put the whole, well, if they all had ARs thing into some perspective and a lot. And there are the same Jews that love the Constitution who write about it, who just kind of overlook all the First Amendment issues that Israeli law would pose in America, um, have conveniently not really seemed to have talked much about how there's, like, 
uh, a lot of restrictions on gun ownership in Israel. Sure. They have not brought that up until today. Now, Never cared now, about it before. No. Now it's their big thing. Uh, it is true that in Israel, you cannot just own a gun at home as easily the same way that you can in the United States. Yeah. I mean, and that's the way it is in many countries. I was kind of looking into it. It does seem that you now have to keep your gun in uh, an armory, like outside of your house. Uh, there's a very small percentage of the population that qualifies under these Israeli laws for having a handgun at home. I think you can only have 50 rounds. I think that might be a lifetime cap. And you have to qualify. Either this... lifetime or at any one time. Yeah. It'll be one of the two. Um, you And you have to be able to have that gun at home and not in an armory. You have to qualify. Probably it's a lot of onerous requirements the same way that states like California, New York will right. make somebody have to really... You have, to, you have to show to need, it. yeah. But here's the other thing, just to put out there. Um, nearly everyone in Israel that's an adult is military trained. Now, not all of them are in combat roles. I know people who were medics, and it wasn't like being a medic in Vietnam. You know, they weren't like out there yeah. in the shit. They, you know... I don't know, took blood sometimes if somebody needed a blood test. Uh, I think Gal Gadot was a fitness instructor. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, just because you're in the IDF does not mean that you are a trained super fighter. Right. But there are many active duty IDF um, soldiers. They have a weapon. Yeah. In the reserves, they have a weapon. If you're part of the police or you're part of security, they have a weapon. I don't know if it's necessarily as disarmed of a society as people would have one believe by saying, oh, well, look, you know, they got to keep their guns in an armory and only, you know, what, 2% of the population. There's a lot of people who are on leave with their rifle. There's a lot of yes. people who are, who have their, there's a lot, there are plenty of armed people. It's not like it's, it's not to say that everyone there is free to be armed as they are in the great state of Texas. Um, but it's, it's that there, there's, there is a significant portion of the population that is armed and that. And significant military presence just around generally. Yes. And that didn't make a fucking difference. It's not going to, because again, I, I walk around my house with a fucking gun on. No, if four Hamas guys came in here and they wanted to take me out of the house. Sorry, love you, bye. They win. Yeah. I'm dead already and you're out of the house. And, And it's just. That's just the way it goes, man. I mean, to to really think that like you someone looks at this conflict and they look at people in the settlements in their houses being dragged out and they go, boy, if they just had an AR, man. Yeah, if only they had a gun. Let's try that in a small town. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> try that in a small town. It's American brain rot to constantly be grafting on to a completely different situation. Conservative brain rot. No, American. Because it's not lefties that are doing it, and it's not libertarians that are doing it either. All Americans are conservative to me. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, it is, in a lot of ways, though, Americans do uniquely kind of, our frame of reference is just us. And there's a lot of context. Like, I, I had thought about this earlier. Some of the context of, you know, a lot of these people could have had weapons in their home. There could have been somebody who was on leave for active duty. It's the holidays right now. It's Sukkot. Um, there, I'm sure there are reservists that 
are in the settlements. There's got to be someone who's security or police related. There probably were people who had weapons. Yeah. I would think it's probably statistically improbable that nobody there had a gun. However, um, there are a good amount of settlers that are observant. Now, the majority of Jewish Israelis are not actually very religious at all. And yep. most of them don't do Shabbos and they don't specifically eat kosher. It's actually relatively secular. It's pretty cu culturally Jewish, but not everyone there is Orthodox. There's a good amount of Orthodox observant The government's people. very theocratic, but the people yes. aren't necessarily so hardline religious. Yes. And also, normally, the prime minister is... There's prime minister and there's president. Yeah. That's okay. I sound real dumb. Not Normally, actually, the, the top brass is typically not particularly um, observant either. It has not been that there are many like Hardal or Datilumi, like the... Um, well, yeah, but we're talking about yeah. like the like the legal system and stuff like that. That's all very theocratic. Yeah, well, that, yeah. There's no... There's... When it comes to family law issues, I mean... Yeah, you, there's, yeah. There's, there's a ton of... You the... can't get a civil divorce, you can't have a civil marriage. It has to go break down into what religion you are, and if you are a Jewish yeah. woman and you want to get a divorce and your husband says no, sorry. Yeah. They can put him in jail... But they can't force him to give you the divorce. And right. there are abusive men, typically not even religious, who will use, use that, that to their advantage. because they don't care about being in jail because they want to still exert yeah. control. So, yeah. But, all right, there are settlers. A lot of settlers are religious. It was Shabbos when this happened. Right. Normally. So there, was mean, no, there was no early yeah. warning for them. No, it's we all because we they wouldn't probably, have had any. There would be no lines of communication available no. because they're observing. We probably got a lot of the information more quickly than some of the people that were there, and they have siren systems. Um, Judaism also is not precious about Shabbat when it comes to protecting somebody's life. Right. I mean, if somebody steps on glass and they could get a terrible foot infection, you can go drive them to the hospital. Nobody's going to get mad at you. It. It wasn't that, oh, wow, there's something happening, but, like, we're not going to go tell people it's happening. It's that it happened so quickly, and the threat was so unique Yes. that because people weren't on their phones, a lot of those people, I would guess, weren't on their phones, it didn't travel as quickly, and that, I'm sure, was calculated. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. That, that's on purpose. Yeah, yeah. That, and that means that if you don't know what the threat is, and a siren goes off, you haven't been prepped, maybe, for this exact thing happening. Sure. Well, it doesn't really matter that you have a weapon because you don't know what's coming. Yeah. And you don't know how to use it. And if you're, even if it's like two or three family members who have weapons, people come in, they're specifically trying to get you. Uh, you might be able to put up a fight, but this idea that if every Israeli had a gun, this wouldn't have happened is like. It, it, Pick a new thing to be mad about. Because <laughs> this isn't it. And I really actually have seen a large amount of large There's number been a lot of people, of people with that take. Yeah, who have had that take, which again, like everything with this conflict, everybody is focusing on the absolute wrong thing. Well, it's very common with conservatives. And Ace has pointed out before, uh, always looking at the wrong hand. Conservatives. Yeah. Always. Not like, wow, what the hell happened? And how did we all... As, as a world, you know, kind of encourage this to occur. And what does that mean for us as a society as well, right? What does it mean that uh, the United States is always just releasing these boilerplate 
um, supportive messages and then sending U.S. military. Yeah. Um, There's a warship in the... Yeah, uh, warships to go show their support. There's a warship in the Mediterranean right now. They just moved it. You know, not thinking about, wow, what's going on that has made this group of people do this? Why? What are the things that yeah. led to this? Is it proportional? Has Is there anything where we can get into the minds of the people involved in the conflict, like, what the hell happened? How did we get here? Is there any of that? No. It's just, man, if he had an AR... It would have been fine. Hamas would have been... <laughs> it's that, and then it's on like, the other it's side... It's fucking Mark Wahlberg talking about how if he'd been on the goddamn plane, it would have gone down a lot differently. Man, if Yosef only had an AR, things would have ended that way. Yeah. And on the other side of it, it's, okay, So, but now it's time for genocide. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two takes, kind of. And the funny thing is, is that none of us here have any influence over it and ultimately yeah what, what is it what do you fucking care so much for ultimately it doesn't affect us all that much not not really at all now there are not effects seriously. for middle eastern people people that um are perceived to be muslim by other people who can't tell the difference between different groups oh yeah there's effects if there's um anti-semitic blowback although racial tensions aren't going to get any better yeah there's there's those effects it's not necessarily that there is absolutely no effect of any of these things on any other people it it tends to uh, fan the flames between groups that sure. live thousands of miles away from where the conflict is happening but they're part of the different religious and ethnic groups involved that can have an effect but I'm going to be fine tomorrow, regardless of what happens there. Yes. And none of us are going to fix it. But everyone for so long now has loved to think about, man, what are we going to do there? Yeah. And like, how are we going to fix it? Or can it be fixed? And let's spend a lot of aid money and let's take up a lot of airtime talking about it. I also love the fact that there, it seems that there were... Uh, there was a significant um, amount of weapons that Hamas used in this that came from uh, I almost said the Mujahideen that came from the Taliban Yeah. Uh, that they sold after the US pulled out and left all the equipment yeah. behind. Yeah, it turns out maybe don't leave your equipment behind. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes me laugh. Um because there's, I mean, they're in there with M4s and all all kinds of shit, and and there are people who are saying like, no, no, no there there were uh, some of these weapons that Hamas is using were sold to them by the Taliban, and these are actually American arms that were left behind when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, which I find totally believable. I, I, oh, I yeah. it makes perfect sense to me the Taliban would sell weapons to Hamas. Yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, of and it course. makes perfect sense to me. That the Americans would just leave them there. Yeah. And be like, oh, whatever. We just eh, didn't have time. Yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Us leaving this, these, you know, weapons of war there. Like, who could pick them up? Sure. sure. They, 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 don't, don't worry about it. Taliban's chill now. It's a new Well, I mean, Taliban. that's the thing. The argument that people are making was like, well, the Taliban doesn't know how to work on the Humvees. The Taliban doesn't know how to repair the helicopters. The Taliban doesn't know how to do that. And all that's true. But they can sell them. And it appears they did. Like, it it appears that the Taliban has sold off a lot of shit. Which makes perfect sense. Because, of course, they did. Just amazing thinking, like, they don't know how to use them. They're just going to sit there. Nobody's going to take them. Yeah. They're too dumb to figure and it out. And some proportion of that equipment might just sit there and rot. But, obviously, they sold off something. 
Uh, anyway. Okay, so that's all the... Going for like an hour and 20 minutes about Yeah, I Israel. hope any of what I say said made any sense. Oh, it did. It's fine. Yeah. Because um, it's the thing that's in the news right now, and I'm sure everybody who's listening to the show knew that that was going to be the, the focus of the show. Um, yeah, my worst nightmare, honestly, oh, having, yeah. to, having to talk about this. Yeah. I calculate, like, every choice that I make in life is calculated around not having to talk about Israel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't go to synagogue. Yeah. When my, like, I have checked in with people that I know that are in Israel and I'm like, wow, sounds really scary. Like, love you. I, I, even the people that are there, like, I'm, are you alive? Great. I don't want to talk about how you yeah. feel about it though. Um, it's one of those things because I truly believe it's, it's almost futile to discuss because whatever is going to happen is going to happen and everyone gets big mad and just calls for blood and there's nothing, nothing productive yeah. has occurred no. in any of these conversations or any attempts. It never has. Peace. It never has yeah. between between Israel and Hamas. It never has. No, it's there's just nothing that it's devastating. It makes me feel sick. I mean, seeing sure. the coverage, seeing well, it's terrible seeing that videos it, of what's happening yeah. to the civilians, just civilians. Yeah. I'm not breaking down Palestinian or Israeli, just civilians. Makes me sick. Oh, because you know that Israel's going to visit absolute hellfire on civilians in Gaza. And they're going to say that it's in the name of protecting me. Right. That is that is the other bit. That I can, I can see that being very aggravating. Well, because they... I mean, that, that <clears throat> that is the line that they use. And there's been people... There's, like, a lot of conservatives online that will talk about how the only reason why you can walk around your town in America and feel safe is because Israel exists. You're like, Fuck. But people really think that. Jesus and Christ. And they really think, like, it is making us safer. You realize, I yeah. thought the same thing in eighth grade. In eighth grade, my understanding of geopolitics was that Israel being the only Western democracy in the region was very important. Because it's what kept Iran at bay. And it's what kept... Uh, it's what kept... Um, the... Uh shit. What what's the what's the term I'm thinking of? Saudis um Wahhabis? Wahhabis. It's what kept the Wahhabis at bay. That was my understanding of geopolitics in eighth grade. Because I was retarded in eighth grade. Yeah, no, there's just grown adults who who really are like the only reason why we're safe is because Israel exists. I'm like I'm far more likely to be the victim of some anti-Semitic attack because someone's mad because all they see is Israelis doing this and they just put Israelis onto Jews. Because honestly, when people talk about this, yeah, because Jews, they do. say Jews. Yeah, I'm the st- Jews dragged out of their house. Jews being killed, and it's true they are Jewish, but it's Israeli Jews. It's happening to. Yeah, I'm not being attacked. The rest of us aren't being attacked. You know. In and it this also manner, doesn't help. It's not a worldwide Hamas attack on Jews. It also doesn't help anti-Semitism generally, because when all no. the fucking Western democracies start lining up to talk about how fucking great Israel is and how much we need to defend Israel and all this other shit, it doesn't really help the perception that, <laughs> that the no. Jews are in charge of I, the whole fucking thing. I've said for a long time that I, I personally, this is my personal belief, that I think that one of the things, one of, that is fueling anti-Semitism in the 21st century is the the west fealty to israel yes and this insistence by so many people involved to conflate jews and israelis yeah 
And that probably more than anything else, that really does fuel conspiracy theories. that's as much theories. the ADL's fault as yeah. anyone else's, that conflation. Yeah, and, and, and everybody does it. Yeah. I mean, I've even heard myself before say Jews when I meant Israelis, just speaking. Right. Because it is so just commonly done. And I, I personally, I don't... I... Yeah, that pounding sorry. is the our upstairs neighbor's washer is unbalanced. Yeah, sorry, that was very distracting. Um, I don't have any skin in the game when it comes to any of this, but I mean, they have so cleverly convinced us through language from being like a five-year-old onwards that Jews are Israelis. Yeah, even I find myself falling into sure using those those terms interchangeably when they're when they're not. But the only time I'm really frightened about anti-Semitism and it like me being the victim of an anti-Semitic attack, which is not much. I'm not particularly concerned about that. But the only time that that becomes a thing I even think about is when something like this happens. Because, yeah, I mean, if you conflate all Israelis with Jews, people that have a problem with that, who are then a person who's prone to a violent act on that group of people, yeah, yeah, then that's more likely to happen to me than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not walking around scared about it. But, but it does, it, I mean, it's true. It, it changes the calculus. Yeah. And it's... That's a, that's that's what's fucked about it too, man. That, that's what bugs me. Let's get the fuck off this topic. Though. Let's talk about um. Yeah. Let's talk about something else because I was curious what you thought about um. You listened to the last episode, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, I was curious what you thought about the discussion that Ace and I had about uh the idea of biological determinism and. It's not, you know, qua biological determinism. I explained in the last episode kind of my position on it. I was curious what you thought about that conversation. Do you want to ask me questions or just let me freestyle? Because you know freestyle, like, is not going to go well. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so I think we both would agree, and, and, and I did at the time, with Ace's point about, like, trying to enforce that stuff socially doesn't have any good outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Um... But what about it conceptually? Like, and I ask because I know you you have been uh, rolling your eyes consistently when I'm telling you like, uh, oh yeah, I, I, I got a little farther on on uh, Sexual Persona. Kim Opalia's book. Yeah, because that wrong. was a book... I tried to read when I was like 16, 17 at the advice of an edgy teacher. And um, I did a lot of, please don't, you know, no hate mail for this, but a lot of my undergrad um, classes were women's history, what now people would call gender studies. Yeah. Um, I've read a lot of feminist thinkers. I've done a lot of women's history. I've done a lot of gender studies. My God, the Camille Pack. I just, I'm, I've, I've outgrown it. I'm just simply not interested in it, which is kind of my line on, on all of these things. Um, on any philosophy, I, anyone who wants to talk about Deleuze, um, anyone who wants to talk about, I don't listen to the Deleuze episodes specifically of the show. I go, love you, but no. <laughs> I'm no longer really interested in philosophy or big ideas. 
as a person, like at my age, and I'm not saying that I'm old, but I did that. I've read theory before. Mm -hmm. I've read philosophy. I guess I kind of gleaned from it what I gleaned from it. And now I'm more interested in practical application of things and in what people can actually do in their own lives to affect small change. I'm not really a big picture theory girl anymore. That's so right. The idea of even attempting to read sexual persona just eye roll. I mean, she's, <laughs> she's also like, come on, like, that's so fucking 1990. She's nuts. I just, she's great. I fucking love her. I think she's wrong on, on several things, but I love her attitude. I fucking I love Polly. She's awesome. It just throws me back to being in high school. I just, it's so passe. It's so... That's my opinion on that. <laughs> but I guess to be more serious, my general opinion is that I don't necessarily think that there is one writ large understanding of men or women or a certain. Sure. I don't, I think there have been attempts to um, understand how men work and how women work. And there's been a lot written and some of it might be kind of useful observation, but particularly as I've gotten older and I keep making this sound like I'm old. I'm not, I'm just no longer like 22. Right? right. And I've lived a little and had more experiences. Like, I don't really know how useful it is to even try to figure out, oh, how do men work? How do women work? Or what are certain people maybe more innately drawn to, but they don't have to do it, but their kind of innate nature would have them like this or that more. I have started to just kind of view people as individuals. And there might be certain things that some individuals who are men would prefer to do more or less or things that they're more drawn to or not. And same thing with women. But I guess maybe maybe I'm just realizing this as somebody that did spend a lot of time. I was reading books about feminism when I was 13, 14 that I took out of the library. Right. I like went to a real library and I was interested in this concept. And so I read a lot about it and I read a lot about a women. A, read a lot about women's history and so this like me being a feminist and interested in the study of gender and challenges that women face throughout history the civil rights movement like that's all things that i have been acquainted with and have been a big part of my life for a very long time and i sought it out on my own just prior to it blowing up like on the internet, is there being an actual internet space? It for was. That? It was j kind of in the period before the the rise of Tumblr intersectionalism. Oh no! Bef no, and it before was, it, the... no, it was it was before. You keep no, thinking no, 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 I'm no, no, younger no. than I am. No, what I'm <laughs> I'm I'm trying to frame it. Yeah, it was before the rise of Tumblr intersectionalism. After that, sort of uh, uh, fell out of academia and onto the internet. It was before sort of the. Um, it was before the first feminist, it was about a year or two before the first feminist blogs came out. Yeah. That was when I first started engaging with it. Yeah. It was, it was just prior to the birth, the sort of period between what was the third wave and what is this sort of fourth wavy neo-feminist thing that started to develop yeah. in like 2012. Yeah, kind of. And yeah. I was just starting to dip out of it. Uh, 2012, I was still 
pretty in it, but by like 2014, 2015 right. was when I started less kind of associating with an idea of a movement. Um, but I've been for I, many years thought a lot about gender differences or gender similarities. What makes two groups different or the same? What do they want? What am I supposed to want? Mm -hmm. Should I want certain things or should I not want certain things? Should I go against the grain because I'm supposed to want this? What do I want? Like all of those things. I have just kind of come down to this idea that I don't, this is going to sound stupid. I'm just like, people are just people. <laughs> okay? No, no. No, stop. I'm with you. I'm with people you. are just people. The amount of time spent trying to figure out what a certain gender wants or what they don't or what they should want or would make them more happy or make them less happy is ultimately not particularly productive. <clears throat> Maybe. I see it. I see it kind of. Uh, look, I, I think. I, I readily, and on the last episode, readily admit to the idea that these concepts are inherently limited by the fact that you're dealing in generalities. Mm -hmm. And that, that there's no application of these things outside of the average, right? That you can't, you can't apply these concepts outside of the average. Because people who, don't, who fall outside of the average, definitionally, you can't generalize them into the average. Just not how it works. So... I, I, and this is one of the reasons that I don't like conceptually the strict um, biological determinists is because they tend to overlook that fact. And they, they and I, I have been very careful not to. I do think there's value though. Uh, and, and to some extent, maybe even in, in, in sort of trying to find some level of self-knowledge. Um, it value in trying to see like what what is the average what what does what is a concern that the average man has that the average woman has we've mm -hmm. talked about it before with regard to we've had conversations about um conceptually the idea of like concubines and stuff like that and the idea that this is something that is that people find acceptable in a way or have found acceptable in a way because it's not a threat to the security, the status of the actual wife, right? And and that this is that that's one of those things that makes that uh, okay to those who practice that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that ties into that idea of like what I said on the show on the last episode, like the women are concerned with security. Like that's the that's one of the primary concerns. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so I think it helps you to understand things like that a little better, um, even if it's not universally applicable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it helps you to understand some of that stuff and and contextualize it. Um, and even if it's incorrect, like I said on the well, last I mean, show, but I I think that uh, a concern that human beings have is an idea of security. In where they are or who's around them. Like the idea of security and stability and wanting that and needing that might manifest differently in men than women. But fundamentally, sure. human beings do crave a sense of security and stability. 
And while for certain people it might manifest differently and for certain genders based on kind of what they want and what situation they're in and their own desires might manifest differently. I don't think that it's a, um, a you, that it's just women who want security. No, uh, that's, that's not, that's not really what I meant to say. It's more about, it's like a hierarchy, right? I don't think I don't think that's something that drives men to try and find someone who can fulfill that at the same level that it is for women. Um, and again, broadly speaking, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. I'm saying it, it exists to different levels. Um, and that even if that is incorrect, right? that I think it's important to ask those questions. And one of the things that I was sort of lamenting on the last episode was this idea that that's gone away, that nobody wants to ask those kinds of questions anymore because it's, uh, it's, it's, um, socially, uh, it's considered wrong to do it, to frame things in that way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the things that even if, even if my presumptions are incorrect, which, they may well be. Um, I still think it's important to try and have the conversation. You know what I mean? Because how, how, how is anyone going to be able to tell me that I'm incorrect if they're not having that conversation? Well, one well, in that conversation, though, is difficult because if you're talking about a general thing, you're never going to actually, because everything's so individualized, yeah. right? It's hard for one to really know if they're correct or incorrect. Sure. You can have observations, but also what might manifest in one person as as them looking for or wanting a certain thing in their life could be for different reasons than one assumes. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. I think for me, when it comes down to the biological determinism idea, what I see as not like a researcher or a professor or anything, but just as a um, student of history. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Fucking Dan Carlin. Yeah, that the most harm has come when groups of people were told that they had to be a thing. Yes. And then in the backlash to not having to be that thing, you tell them they can't be that thing. Yes. Well, this is something you've shared about about yeah. being about being raised in or knowing people who were raised yeah. in a certain milieu where it's like I mean, the the way that I was raised was not the way that I mean, I actually I come from a very, like, very progressive kind of friend group. I'm, the majority of my friends aren't married, don't have kids. That's probably, they're way older than the national average. Right. Um, everyone's very liberal, live in very liberal cities. Um, even amongst those friends of mine, I don't know anyone that was raised being told by their mom, uh, you can't have kids and you can't get married. Right. The, oh, sure. The, but they they the, would also those be people a little, exist. They would be a little young yeah. for that, though, too. I think. Um, I wasn't raised being told that I can't have kids or can't get married, that I need to have a job. But what was never highlighted for me was that it would be okay to think about wanting to get married and wanting to have kids. And as I got older, I realized that. That wasn't because my family didn't want me to find love and have a family. 
it was because they had spent their whole lives being told, well, you, I, don't, I mean, you like your job? Well, now it's time for you to figure out, you know, when you're going to get married and, and you're going to have kids. Right. And as a result of that, of not wanting to pressure me, I felt as if it would be wrong for me to think about wanting How much of that, though, too, kids. comes from that milieu that you were in, where you were uh, looking into, like, feminism and other stuff and, and talking to people on those terms and, like, when you were in college or, you know, surrounded by these people. How much of that comes from, comes from that sort of cultural osmosis? Or no, no, there, there were things I was explicitly told about what was important to focus on and what wasn't. By? By family. Yeah. That at my age, you shouldn't be thinking about those things. You should be thinking about a job. You should be thinking about this. Okay. This should be your, but it wasn't, it wasn't meant, I've come to realize, to mean you shouldn't have those things. It was a weird overcorrection. Yeah. To prevent me from feeling as if I had to do that, as if that was the goal, instead of figuring out what I wanted, and then, like it does with most people, the personal life or wanting kids or wanting, like, to be married would kind of fall into place as it does for a lot of people. Right. Um, I, I lost my train of thought. No, no, no like, I, like, I, you're, you're, I, I forgot what I was following. I think with. you actually kind of yeah. reached the end of it because yeah. the, the, the idea was that that, that was sort of the conversation that Ace and I ended up having, which was this idea that when you start forcing things and when you start pushing things and when you start telling people they have to live a certain way, that's when the inevitable, uh, backlash from that becomes equally unhealthy is that you you end up overcorrecting in the other direction and then you have people being told like well you can't live this other way. Um I mean I think at this point it's known what people think the the base biological desires whether they believe it's because it's um ingrained in a person from society or whether or not it's not society that ingrained it, but it's just natural and that's how it's supposed to be. I think we all know what this kind of stereotypical idea of what men and women are supposed to be. Sure. I mean, this has been, it's the same idea of like woman is nurturer, mother, man is provider. I don't know how much exploration we have to, to do knowing that that is whether or not you think it's because society told someone they need to be that or because, no, it's not society, it's just, it's like this and it has always been like this because it's supposed to be. Like, we know that. I, we, we, we know... Sure. It, in these conversations, that's what everyone's talking about. Sure. You're talking about what is this role, what are we meant to be or made to be, or what is it that we're being told to be that we don't have to be. Yeah. That, that's established. Like, in 2023, it is established... That historically, these are the things that people have been talking about, whether they say it's incorrect or whether they say that is correct and that's what people should be. Ooh, this is the, the, the reason that I think it's important is because you, you end up with a, you can end up at cross purposes. So this idea that if the reason why I think it's important to have that discussion and to, to try and make that determination is because if you believe it to be entirely socially enforced, that means it can be changed. 
and people with an interest in changing it will try to change it. Okay? If you believe it to be more inborn than that, you recognize that changing that's not really going to be possible. And so you don't put effort into changing it. Whether you, whether you think it's a, a good state of things or not, it is what it is, right? And you kind of have to accept it. And I think that it is, because of where I land on that question, I think a lot of these things are pretty inborn. Um, because of that, I think it becomes destructive. If you think that it's entirely socially enforced and then you're trying to change it, but it's not actually socially enforced, it's actually inborn. I think it. I think it's destructive, and I think it confuses people. I think it does that, um, to the same to to for the same reasons that trying to socially enforce any of it does that. You know what I mean? That's why I think it's kind of important to try and make that determination, or at least to have that conversation. Well, I don't think the conversation shouldn't be had. I just think that at this point in the history of time, it's borne out that there are people who prefer to not be a woman and be the nurturer and there are men that prefer to not be a man who and i mean nurturer you know woman who nurtures a man who's who provides in this more traditional sense sure right sure there have been people who decide not to do those things they're fine yeah right i think at this point in time of the conversation where we're talking about like what does it mean like existentially what does it mean for people and is this something that people want to change or should change or is this a thing that we should just let be and encourage people to be a certain way i think at this point the conversation should just be that it is harmful to enforce either way that to go and uproot no, yeah, it yeah, yeah, right yeah. to go and uproot it and say no People will never have a natural inclination to this. You need to do the opposite is harmful. And then to also say, well, if you're not doing this, right, if you're a man and you don't want to be a provider, whatever that means, sure. or if you're a woman, and you don't want to nurture, um, that that's bad. Right. I, I think what's born out, and it's probably a lot of it has to do with the way that the world has changed. I mean, we live in an industrialized, globalized society. There are things well, that, not only that, that but, uh, people don't need to do anymore in the same way that they, that they well, did. Well, not only that, but we were talking about, um, on the last episode, we were talking about the way that the financial system has fucked things up, such that now you're in a position where, in order to survive, uh, you can't have... The, the choice has been taken from people. You well, can't and, have and, a single-income I mean, household But anymore. this idea, too, there were more single-income households even amongst families where um, they were not particularly wealthy. Like, they, they sure. made it, they just made it, right? They could just end Escape up with it. enough food. Yeah. And you could do that more. There's still throughout a history of time, and even during this, like, golden age that we think of, where you could have a homemaker, there still have been generations of women that worked outside the house even before then. No, uh, and yeah, that, I'm not saying that's not the case. They yeah. couldn't get by on that. Or you have situations, and I've had this in my family where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, she didn't work, right? She was a homemaker. She basically ran the family business as well. It just wasn't considered. She was contributing to the home. Fundamentally, now we would say, oh, she 
was also an entrepreneur. But at the time, that wasn't the way it was thought about. It's right. helping out your husband. And it wasn't that it wasn't appreciated. It's just the frame of reference was different. But, I mean, yeah, some of it is it is harder now than it was to stay home. You really have to have a much higher income to have any parent staying home. Um, but also, interestingly enough... <laughs> A lot of the things that used to take up a full day, if you were being a nurturer, if you were making the home, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. My grandma used to have to clean clothes in the basement of the apartment that they lived in on a washboard. Yeah. That includes diapers. Yeah. She had to clean it on a washboard. I mean, in many ways, none of that would be a problem anymore. That took up a massive amount of time. And that wasn't 100 years ago either. Right. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to stay home. And especially when you have when people have, like, little kids, too. I mean, you can't... They haven't, like, revolutionized the kid to be easier and more efficient <laughs> to take care of. You know? Right. Like, like, they haven't done that. And, yeah. like, there is an idea of making a home that it's... Okay, yeah, I mean... It, Sure, you have a washer-dryer now that's really fast. That doesn't mean that, like, keeping, you know, the the being a homemaker does not exist anymore. Sure. But a lot of the things that everyone had to spend a lot of time doing that were part of these roles, fundamentally for most people, no longer exists. So and so it is now an exist more of an existential question than it is logistical. Because right. it used to be a logistical question. Well, I think, I think now it's a financial question. Because mm -hmm. the, the the for for most people, you're in a position where that's not even really an option. I mean, that's it's just yeah. it, and and that's one of the things that I think is so terrible is that, even, that even though I do think that really there were far fewer households in which the woman that stayed home was truly a homemaker when there wasn't as much. Well, money. I also think the idea of the homemaker's been fucked up by trads because the the like, like the trads that buy a a, a step actuated yes um, wash it this yes. is real the, i saw this on reddit a while fucking ago. tiktok trads there were women who were buying older models of like washer dryers well not even a dryer right yeah yeah Hang it up everything's outside. Line dry. step actuated washing machines where they have to step on it to make it wash the clothes because they are Trad wives, not trad moms, <laughs> who are at home. And honestly, I mean, either they want Just to actively feel, trying to make their yeah, life harder. They want to feel like they're doing something, so they have to make it harder. Or the arrangement that they have with their husband is that they're doing stuff. And so it's not good for them to have a washer dryer that works real well because then it looks like you're being lazy. So, yeah. if, you know, hubby comes home from a long, hard day and you're just stepping on the washing machine. <laughs> it makes it look like you're doing something. I think I think the idea of that has been fucked in a way that um, there's there's a and there's been conversation about this, too. But the idea that like the, the wife who was the homemaker also ran the books like that was kind of that that that's sort of traditionally what it was. Right. Where it's well, like and even not that long ago, I remember yeah. when I was like four, I was at home because I was four, and uh, I wanted to play, and my mom was sitting at the desk that she had in the dining room, and balancing she was writing, checkbook. yeah, she was balancing a checkbook, yep. and she was writing out checks, and I was like, I want to play, and she said, do you like the Disney Channel? 
<laughs> well, if you like watching the Disney Channel, you're going to leave mommy alone because I have to handle all of the things that we have to do to give you the Disney Channel. <laughs> right. But I distinctly remember that. She was balancing a checkbook, sitting there doing that. My dad didn't come home and do that. No. My dad made the money, and my mom was the one that figured out where it was going to go and what needed to be paid that for. Is, that is the trad sort of breakdown of that. And it's this this idea that that internet trads and masculinity grifters have about like man as leader where it's just like all that's on you and stuff and it's like no i mean the the responsibilities in the most quote unquote trad sort of situation is that like dude you go to work and you work your ass off and then you get home and you give the money to your wife and she decides where it goes like that's the that's the most traditional quote unquote way that like a like a like a like the 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 the, the nuclear family right would operate and so this but the people have being a homemaker doesn't mean being hands-off no I mean, running right, exactly. a home in a household particularly if you have multiple children particularly when you have young kids and even after that um it's it's not really staying at home well, I mean, it's not, I mean, the idea is like, I mean, you, you don't leave the home to work, but it's not actually really, and this is another kind of interesting, I mean, this is kind of, this is how TikTok and these new trad wives have kind of ruined I mean, you see them, their complaints about what's happening is, well, I was in college and I was working at the same time and I was so tired and I was so exhausted and I didn't want to do all of this and I now am so happy and I stay home, and I make the house nice for my husband, and I make him nice food, and I'm happy. And it's like, what you're describing is you were exhausted. Yes. And the point of being a woman that was at home, a wife that was at home, was not that it was a vacation. It was a different sort of work, and you were still tired. (laughs) And it's like these, these girls who are younger than me, who possibly did grow up with mothers that weren't downplaying marriage and kids for the sake of trying not to pressure their daughter but instead were actively rejecting the idea of their daughter doing anything but a girl boss career it's those girls that i think are the ones that are on tiktok talking about how fucking tired they are and how they don't want a girl boss they don't want to have to go to college and why did women fight for rights i just want to stay home and be a wife and it's like that's fine i mean if you don't do that that's fine right What you're talking about is not a rule that existed up until about five minutes ago when you guys created this idea (laughs) of just, I'm just home. Yeah. The stay-at-home wife, not stay-at-home mom, the stay-at-home wife is a concept that has really not existed outside of the uber-rich ever. Yeah. Well, certainly not since you had the influx of women in the workforce after industrialization. Certainly not since then. Well, and even that, I mean, that I there's a very interesting book that I won't bore people about that I did read in college that was about um, the industrialization in New York City yes. in the 19th century and all of the jobs women did, the poor women, and the absolutely horrific shit <laughs> that happened, <laughs> including like a, a stove just blowing up in a woman's face. Yeah. I mean, that... We're we're talking. Well, we just got this gas thing, and we're trying to figure out how it works. So, yeah, horrifying. Honestly, don't recommend. Um, we're even talking. So hundreds of years ago, even like 
this stay-at-home wife that does the little TikToks <laughs> is not... Not even a thing. And I think that kind of actually does water down the idea of talking about these differences in women that would want to stay home or not, because this is a very neoliberal, just to throw that in there, oh, because yeah. everything's neoliberal, right? Idea of what it means to embrace the feminine urge to what? Sleep in? <laughs> And I don't, I, I actually do wish that I could have more time and energy to decorate, to, I like cooking a lot. Yeah. I've not cooked a lot lately <laughs> no. because Very I've busy. been tired and busy. I would like to feel more like I'm making where we live a home. I don't feel guilt. I don't feel like you're dissatisfied with me, but there are things that I wish I could do concurrently that I would have more energy for because I think it would make me feel happy to do those things. I like making something, I'm not going to say fancy, but like a more complicated nice. dish. Yeah. yeah. There, there are lots of things. Um, I think, and those things do require energy and attention and time. So, Work done in a home, whether you have kids or not, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's nothing there. But, I mean, it, I think it's really been skewed, this idea of what the home is, because making a home, the term, it, it involved doing something. Yeah. It involved creating a certain space, and typically that space had kids in it. Sure. And... These these neo trads yeah. have turned it into a a, a like you just a stay at home vacation. Yeah, they've they've turned it into like no, I just chill out at the house and 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 what make dinner. Okay, so that's a good what maybe an hour and a half you spent doing that. Like, yeah, it's not. I don't. I'm tired too. I get it. Like I'm so tired all the time. <laughs> For me personally. Not working, I, yeah, I don't think that'd fix no. that, you know? No. I don't, for me personally, and not everyone has this, and I hate saying this, but privilege. Yeah, to, sure. Not everyone has the privilege to have a job like I do that I truly like, that feels like a calling. And also one, here's the thing, let's yeah. be honest. Also one where there's a lot of days if you want to go home at two, you can. Yeah. And well and that's my specific working like setup. Sure. I know people have the same job as me that don't have that option. Yes. Yes. I actually at this point do not think I could work not having the option to have flexible time. And this is coming from a person that did eight to five office jobs. And it's not saying a every it's not job even saying before like, this one. It's it's not even saying like if you want to go home at two and not do anything. It's like if you want to go home at two and instead do this research on the couch, yeah. you can. Like like you can like you don't have to sit there in the office and and read these cases. Yeah. You don't have to sit there in the office and research these statutes. You you instead can, you know, hey, I don't have to be at court. I'm not needed in the office. I'm going to do this at the house. Yeah. Like that's, that is something that not a lot of people have as an option. Yeah. Most, most people don't. And uh, most lawyers don't. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I've ended up being able to do that. And now I'm so spoiled that, you know, I was never the kind of person that thought like, I want a flexible work schedule. And I was like, no, like work happens, you know, during banking hours and you sit there 
Yes. Luckily, actually, I no longer feel that way, and that's not how it has to be for me. But yeah, I don't even I don't have a, a job outside of court time that is super fixed. Like right. I can come home and be home if I want to. Um, I, I don't like think for me that that the kind of um things that I feel about <laughs> being tired and whatnot I would transfer into me feeling fulfilled by moving all of that to the home and yeah. not just because there's a finite amount of redecorating I can do um, because I actually, I, I would not feel fulfilled by that. Sure. I would not feel fulfilled by just doing that. And some people's jobs are just workaday jobs and that's how it is for most people. And it actually probably is a lot nicer in a lot of ways than having a job that your identity is wrapped up in, which can be good, but then also means that you're, job is an identity that you're wrapped up in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that can be very damaging when it's this idea of like um, your girl boss executive email job being your identity, but there's not a lot to it. There's not a lot behind it. There's not that's, really a goal. That's an interesting idea that that if if what makes people feel satisfied and fulfilled in in sort of their life, right, is is that they feel they're being productive. Let's just assume that's what it is, right? It, or at least that it's part of it, and I think it probably is part of it. Um, then yeah, your 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 uh, professional managerial class email job as a girl boss, but with no kids, no spouse, no home to go to. That's that's like a uh, like has life in it. Um. Yeah, I could see that being the kind of thing where it's like that's not fulfilling at all because it's not that you're. I mean, you're you're you've got your laptop email job, and that's your job. And it's there's there's your where's the productivity there? Where's the difference maker? What are you doing that you can actually look at and say I made a difference there? You know what I mean? Um, I think I think your job is different from that where it's like if you have a client who you get a good deal or who you get a case dismissed, you can look at it and say. That's a difference that I made. I did that. This guy gets to eat dinner at the house because I did that. Um, whereas that's just not the case for PMC I've, I've girl had bosses. An email job before, right? And I, I was not girl bossing my way up to the C-suite like that. Was the kind <laughs> of job it was. Um, but I felt so empty, and for and I was single. Sure. I didn't have kids. I wasn't in a serious relationship. I didn't have anyone to go home to. Adding those things, being married and having kids, I don't think I would have um, felt fulfilled still in that email job. For me personally, I would have needed more than that. Well, you, you probably would have gotten more even at that point out of just staying at home. Yeah. And raising the kids and, and like you can actually see the difference you're making in the world. And so I see how there are people that are like, you know what? I actually do want to stay home. That are women that are like, I don't like this job. Yeah. I would rather be home. I like, I get that. That to me makes a lot of sense. That and makes also, total sense. Logistically, if you can afford to stay home, um, daycare is so expensive that sometimes the spouse with the lower paying job will quit, man or woman, because daycare is so expensive that their job is just paying for daycare. Yeah. So it's might as wash. well just have somebody stay home. Yeah. I understand people not wanting to be in the rat race and, you know, 
have a job just to have a job they realize that there's something that they, that they feel that actually brings them something meaningful yeah. and for many people that is being a parent um but i also know that for me and it's not just me because i have some friends that are like this too and there's other people that exist in the world like this i would not be content i guess at least maybe if it had started out that way maybe if i'd had kids first right right and then had this job then i would feel fulfilled inherently i don't think it would work that way now no no i don't not. think because i've had the fulfillment from the job that i have i don't think if you yank that away from me without it being my choice that then i feel fine and fulfilled and happy in a domestic role right and it could be different I mean, really, and I never thought of that before. If I'd had kids first and then had that, maybe it would be a whole different thing. It could be. But, and I mean, and here's the thing, too. It's also possible that your mind changes, like, yeah. on that, even. It's because that's what, I mean, like, my mom liked her job just fine. And then she had kids and she was like, I just want to be home. I just want to be home. Like that, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. you can, and not that she was able to do that necessarily, because we were, you know, for at least through my brother's young childhood we were flat fucking broke and she ended up having to basically go to work at a daycare to be near her kid um so so you know it's it's one of those things that can kind of change even your perspective as things change in life you know what i mean so it's it's one of those that it's it's complicated I think if you're working just because you want to feel important, like you have a girl boss job, or you have kids just because you think I'm going to be fulfilled because I have these kids, you might oh, not that's a essentially end up happy. And that's what a lot of yeah. people end up. I don't even know if I'd say a lot of people, but that's what a number of people will end up doing. Yeah. And that's where this idea of what people should do or shouldn't do becomes harmful. Because you're seeing, I mean, I, I guess I see them, I don't see them on TikTok because I don't have TikTok because I don't want to get spied on. I use YouTube shorts. Like, <laughs> you see people like on. Like, Google's not spying on you. You see people on short form video content on the internet. <laughs> um, seemingly either embracing all girl boss all the time or I'm a stay at home 19 year old wife. Yeah, it's 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 bifurcated. Right? No one's normal. And I think these people aren't happy. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not. Fundamentally. Or they weren't happy before they made this big shift to this other thing. Well, here's the I, thing, because now both both of those people actually have jobs now as content creators. That's yeah. their job. Well, And I've been told that being a content creator is a harder job than any job anyone has ever had. I've been told that. I, who is content creators have told you that? <laughs> you didn't see There was like a... I wouldn't say scandal. It's not a scandal. There was a brouhaha because somebody posted a thing saying being a content creator is like so much harder than nine to five. Oh yeah. And then I saw some content creators being like, "Yeah, you guys don't know the struggle." <laughs> Fuck. And then I saw a content creator that was an ICU nurse that was like, "This is better than my best day on the ICU ward." I mean, it's just it's not the same. Yeah. Like, I can sit down, I can eat, I can go to the bathroom. No one's going to die if I don't run quickly enough. Yeah. Like, I, and if you get big enough, you can hire an editor, and there's half the work off your plate. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, it Maybe there's a whole 
essay to be written about how all of these people who are talking about how they're living life in the pure way of what their ideology tells them it should be actually are just all content creators and they're the same person. <laughs> yeah. There's probably yeah. something to that. There is something to that. As a person who has rejected philosophy, I'm not the one to do it. Who's <laughs> rejected philosophy in theory. Um... I don't, you know, it probably does sound simplistic me saying, like, I think people are just people and just let people do what they want to do. But f I do think that these deep questions about what men or women are supposed to be, everyone knows either what people say they're supposed to be or what people think they're not supposed to be. Yeah. And that being known, being in a world where we had hundreds of years of things being one way, where men do this and women do this, and women were not allowed to do a lot of things through through a good chunk of that a time a lot yeah. of things yeah and didn't have the options it's not like you know when they were serfs the woman went well you know i really could i could pursue my dream of being an actuary but unfortunately <laughs> it's just not going to work my husband's not into it we don't have money for the certification, and so instead I'm going to have 11 children, five of whom die at birth, and only two that um, make it past the age of 12. <laughs> Meanwhile, the husband's breaking his back farming the Lord's land yeah. like, I wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah, like that, that's not what it is. Women were not yeah. allowed to do things for quite some time. And I'm not saying life was peachy for men. It's not that I'm saying that. Right, right. But there was not the option of women doing anything more than that. It's just true. So to talk about what they might have naturally been more inclined to, I mean, it wasn't like, God, it was their dream to be a doctor. I'm. It's just, we didn't yes. live in a world where there were those options. And then when there were more of those options, there was a fight against it. And then it turned into where you can be whatever you want to be, which then turned into some people saying, well, you can't be that. You wouldn't yeah. want to be a mom. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's not, obviously... There's an aspect of women that's inclined to take care of children in some way. I don't want to get too in the weeds. There's a because, few, you know, yeah. It's a very complicated thing, and people get very angry. But to say it's that... It's not that complicated, yeah, but people get very angry. Okay. <laughs> Man, you know the kind of people that I know. I You've got to be real careful what you say. <laughs> They're not listening to this show, I promise you. <laughs> to say that... To say that, that human beings have never had any skin in the game when it comes to raising children is, like, yeah. crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, especially women. Women have kids. That's just a thing. It is what it is. <laughs> like, it just exists. It always has. Yeah. Um, to, to shift into denying any of that is also wrong. But it's, I guess I'm less concerned about what do people think and how are, how are they and what can we learn about them when we kind of know what this base stereotypical assumption is and we know it's harmful to limit people only to that and we also know it's harmful to tell people that there's nothing about that. That for women, there's, there's nothing to the idea that you would want to have children. That's also harmful. Yes. I think it's borne out that compulsory uh, adherence to what biology would have you do is bad and then compulsory rejection to any of that is also bad yes which is why i think i say people are just people because also there's well uh, i mean there's so many different things that people can be now and it's been shown that like yeah there are some people that are heterosexual couples 
that are happier without kids. And I'm not talking about the, like, the people that turn child-free into being, like, their whole life. Yeah. Which also, to me, I say, if you really hate kids that much, though, you shouldn't have them good. I don't want people like that having kids. If they're talking about how how kids are fucking evil and should be excised from society, yeah, I'm fine with you not having kids. (laughs) But there are people who don't have kids, and they're fine with it. There are some people that are happier that way. Yeah. There are women that have kids and regret it. It's not all of them, but there are women that were on the fence about having kids who love their kids, but they really actually do think that that wasn't probably the The right move for them. Yes. There's men that stay bachelors for forever and are happy about it. And there's men that do that and are not happy about it. And they're just too set in their own ways by the time they get old enough. Yeah. But, I mean, these ideas of what we should or shouldn't be are known quantities. We've been arguing about them for hundreds of years. And there's been a lot of rapid advancement in what we consider to be appropriate for people, like, within the West, within the last hundred years. Yeah. Um, And I fundamentally think with all that choice now, what it comes down to is not having the conversation that it's fine if you want to do the thing that you think is more traditional. It's also fine if you don't want to. And it's also fine to be 25 and not know for sure. I think the dangerous thing is encouraging people to have a fixed mindset because it will change. Or to make decisions that may be bad for them. Because, like, let's say let's say you do have some chick who's 25 or whatever and she's not married and all this other stuff. And everyone's everyone, you know, tells her, hey, you got to get this done. You have to get this done. Well, what, I mean, she takes that to heart. You know what I mean? And she ends up in a bad relationship as a result. I've because... known women who said, like, I got married to my husband because he asked. Yeah. And it just was what it was. And it was ended up not working out. Yeah, sure. It's That's, I think, the the harmful thing and has always been harmful. But I do think, especially as a person who grew up a woman who grew up where domestic life wasn't really something that was talked about. The idea of me having kids was never acknowledged that that would ever happen. Um, encouragement of personal relationships, it was not encouraged. Right. Um, that was harmful to me and that it made me feel like wanting that was doing something wrong. And that, And I'm saying that with... It was never explicitly told to me that it was incorrect. So I can't imagine how harmful that is. It was just tacitly not encouraged. That was difficult for me. And even though it turns out that wasn't... Not even even tacitly discouraged, just not encouraged. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that um, was not... It wasn't great for me. Um, And that was an overcorrection. Right. That 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 was an overcorrection from having grown up and um, having a mother that couldn't get a credit card on her own. Right. Because yeah. like that's that's the generation. I that's was how old your mom is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like where. I mean, after my grandfather died, they had to figure out what to do because, yeah, like my grandma was allowed to have a bank account and shit. But there were a lot of things that were easier or harder to do without. A, Without, without, without a male chaperone. Yeah. yeah. Um. So my take on it <laughs> is you just stop telling people what to do. Yes, and also yeah. that yeah, things will change. I was like, oh yeah, I'm 25. I'm never gonna want to get married. I'm never gonna want to have kids. I'm never gonna want any of this ever. I 
cannot imagine being a person that would want to do something like that. And guess what? I have friends that thought that way too. And what are they? What are they now? Married mothers. Yeah. And that's fine. And also, because of the world we live in now, they're also still doing the jobs they want to do. And, like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I don't, and I'm not saying it's easy. And there's constraints when you have kids and things that are harder for you. And I've seen, actually, just, like, observing people, how difficult it is for some of the working mothers who are attorneys. And I don't know any of them. I just see things around me and, like, yeah, that's difficult. And if you have enough money, I can see how you might quit for a while. Yeah. And then people start back up and their kids get older because things are not really set up to be able to um, accommodate having, like, a healthy life. Well, that's why I think the economic burning system... Both, burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, that's why I think the economic side of it is so important. Is because that the the fact that those options are taken from people for economic reasons, I, I think, is is just absolutely it's it's one of the more tragic aspects of the whole thing. And that that absolutely the people who caused that have names and addresses. Like that's that is one of those things that the 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 economy as it stands did not need to be the way that it is. And and that is that's the tragedy I think to that sort of underlies the whole thing, is the fact that people. Now it's not just a social expectation that you live one way or another. It's an economic reality that you must live one way or another. And that is just that that ugh, that that's what's aggravating to me about a lot of this too is that there's no in in all the fucking trads talking about how how you're supposed to live life and all this other shit there's n- they're not <laughs> recognizing that fact. Um, Let me look. Oh, God, we've been going for over two hours. My apologies to everyone who tries to piece together my... my no, you're fine. I'm not... You see, this is the thing, is, like, I gotta get podcast ready, right? Because... I'm used to just conversations where I go from point A and then end up at like just in point ten thousand or whatever. It's not even the same. You all the way through. Yeah, the... yeah. I go all, I go all, all, all the way through the, the way, alphabet. I go all, all the way, way to the alphabet. Yeah, I'm not used to that, right? Like people who sure. are they they know how to have a coherent thought. Yes, <laughs> I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, uh, let's do plugs then. Uh, Pacing Joska J O U S K A on Twitter, uh, pacingjuska.bluesky.social, the show, T-E-T-C dot show on Blue Sky, and at T-E-T-C show on Twitter. Um, Ace is Ace underscore Argus on Twitter, and uh, aceargus.substack.com. Uh, you uh, have anything to plug? No. Nothing at all? Nope. Okay, fair enough. That's been Lady Jane. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of The End Times Continue. For links and other information, come see us at TETC.show.